Life is what you make it. You ever hear that term before? Sometimes life is pretty cruel and it doesn't matter if you choose to make it or not. It happens. And what you are left with is an opportunity to make one of the more impactful decisions you'll ever have to make. When life knocks you down, will you stay down for the count? Or will you get up and continue to fight? I'm excited to let you listen in on a conversation I recently had with a motivational speaker and the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Welcome, Terry Tucker. I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So I graduated from college. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. And she got real quiet for a while and she looked at me and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? In 2020, I had my leg amputated. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings yeah. on me. Yeah. The Hindsight Podcast. Hosted by Lee Jones, the one and only, my homie, bringing the past to the present and affecting the future for the better. Hey, Terry, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, Lee. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you. So let's just jump right into it. Let's let's start off. Uh, I don't know if we want to start off at the beginning of I was born, but Maybe your college days when you played basketball. That sounds super interesting to me. How, how, how did that go with you? Sure. So I am uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I'll give you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. Mm. I played college basketball at the Citadel. I have a brother who's six foot seven who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. And then another brother who's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was 6'5". So I sort of joked that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was, uh, was, was going on in, in front of you. Uh, you know, but our five foot, yeah, you know, our, our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. But I was, I was lucky. I started, uh, like I said, born and raised on the south side of Chicago, but spent a few years kind of early in my life, uh, living in Columbus, Ohio. And I just happened, you know, by circumstance to get on the, you know, little grade school, you know, nine-year-old kids playing basketball with the son of the assistant coach at Ohio State. And so I got access to, you know, summer camps and all kinds of stuff through him. And, and that just fueled a love that I had for the game and was able to to go on and play in high school and then eventually was good enough, even despite having three knee surgeries in high school, to to play Division I basketball. I actually, and, and, and you'll probably turn the interview off after I tell you this, I had Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, sit on my couch in Chicago and say, come play for me at West Point. 
And I said, no. So you can imagine what a dummy I am. Everything. <laughs> hey, that's a de- that's a definite hindsight, right? <laughs> it, it definitely, totally a hindsight. But I did get the opportunity to play against some great. I played against Michael Jordan his freshman year at North Carolina when they won the national championship, and then actually it was a it was a doubleheader. It was the North South doubleheader played in the Charlotte Coliseum, and then the following night on Saturday night. I got to play against Jim Valvano and his North Carolina State team, who the following year, 1983, they would win the national championship. So in the course of one weekend, got to play against, you know, two national championship teams. And and I'll end it with this. My my brother, who I mentioned, played uh, baseball at Notre Dame, became a basketball coach in Chicago and actually coached Michael Jordan's two sons. And he tells a story where one day he's at practice and it's toward the end of practice. He's teaching the kids a play and he looks up and nobody's paying any attention to him at all. And so he looks where the players are looking and that's towards the door. And Jordan, Michael Jordan had come into the gym as a dad, you know, to pick up his kids right. from practice. And my brother looked at him and said, hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind just stepping out in the hall until practice is over? And Jordan and his wife were incredibly gracious people. He's like, yeah, sure, coach, no problem. I'll wait outside. And my brother thought later, I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So. <laughs> and that's something. Wow. <laughs> that That's pretty amazing. So six, eight, six, seven, baseball, and six, basketball, six. and six, yeah. six. Good gracious. You walked the ladder and you said your mom was five, eight? My mom was. I mean, mom, I think she was because she was always running to the store to buy milk and, you know, bread and meat and all that stuff. <laughs> and that's, we had insatiable appetites, as you can imagine, <laughs> you know, as we were growing. So. Right, right. That's pretty amazing. So how how was it? You said you played against Michael Jordan. Just give me a little bit about that. How I, I know you didn't play directly the same position, but how was it? Was he, was he pretty uh, amazing at that point in his career, in his college career? Actually, no. And I hope he's not listening. Um, No, he really was. I mean, it was his freshman year. James Worthy, who was a NBA Hall of Fame player, uh, was really kind of their big gun, North Carolina's big gun. And so Jordan was just becoming the Michael Jordan that we all know about. And he would go on and hit that shot, you know, at the the very end of the national championship game to give North Carolina, you know, the, the, the win. But he was still, he was a freshman. You know, I mean, think about it, he's an 18-year-old kid. You know, like yeah, when we yeah, were all yeah. freshmen in college, you know, what was that like? And, but he, the, the fun part, it, it, was, it was North Carolina, and it was Dean Smith, who right. maybe your audience doesn't know, was an unbelievably great college basketball coach and, you know, was a great college mind, college basketball mind. He, he understood the game and that. So it, it really wasn't so much about Jordan at that time as much as it was – you know, the mystique of North Carolina and specifically James Worthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I appreciate you indulging me with that question. Just sure. curious. <laughs> so, so what did you do? Uh, you left out of, when you left out of college, what was your job? You didn't, you didn't go to the NBA. So what was your first job that you, you took up? Yeah. So my first job, I, I was actually lucky. You know, I, I graduated from college. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I'm all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree, you know, and I look back (laughs) now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. 
But I was lucky. I, I found a job uh, as a field marketing trainee in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Okay. Um, and that was the good side. The, the negative side was I ended up, my parents were living back in, in Ohio at that point in time. I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. So, you know, you can imagine right. getting out of college and, you know, you want to get out there and make your mark. And it was like, no, wait a minute, you know, your family needs you right now. So this is, yes, I had a job, but it was pretty much, you know, I, I don't remember a lot about Wendy's. I certainly remember a lot about the three and a half years watching my grandmother and my father pass away from different forms of cancer. Right. Wow. I hear you. That that's that's sorry you had to go through that, right? Uh, but you know that's part of your your life story, your growth story, and your resiliency. Just having to have to endure these types of um, horrible events within your life, starting at an early age too. So, um, you you I want to talk about your jobs, but you made you made a good point, and you were talking about um, you realized how little you knew about business you know, even though you had the degree. Right. right. And so it's, it's pretty cool. Cause I try to push this out to certain, well, people who I talk to, right. When you get the degree, right. That's, that's, that's like, um, from my perspective, it's like a, a ticket, an opportunity, right. It gives you more opportunities. Right. But don't think that, you know, everything, right. Cause you're going to continue to learn throughout your journey, right. In each business, each organization you go through has a different, thing, a different way of doing stuff. Right. And so, you know, getting your degree is the first step and the most important step, I believe. And then, you know, going through and continuing. Oh, Lord, what is that? Did you hear that? No. OK. All right. Good. I'm sorry. It was a, a <laughs> ringing. Okay. It was a ringing in my uh, I'll have to edit that out as a ringing in my headset. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, you know, so that's that's the important thing, right? Getting getting the opportunity. That's what I, that's how I look at a college degree. It's it's like networking, right? Because you get to be around like people, um, and you can create some lasting relationships from there. And it's also the opportunity, right? Once you get into the workplace, so absolutely, yeah. So and, for and, you to bring, I, you know, I think you make a good point because I mean, it's just like if you go to law school. When you get out of law school, you don't know how to be a lawyer. You know, right. you have to you have to learn. Do you go to medical school? You don't know how to be a doctor. You know, so having a college degree, as you say, it's an opportunity. It gives you, it opens a door for you. What you do with that, whether you walk through that door or not, that's up to you. Right. Absolutely. All right. So now this time, I just want you to just blow through because you did a lot of different unique careers, right? So if you can just talk to us a little bit about those and maybe the motivation that led you in that direction, you know, to because they, they're pretty significantly different. Uh, career things, choices. <laughs> so if you can just blurb through that, I appreciate it. Sure. But there is a backstory to it and, and it'll probably make sense. So after Wendy's, I became a hospital administrator and, and then I made a major pivot in my life and I became a police officer. And, and I'll be honest with you, my passion was always to be in law enforcement. My, my father's father, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression, you know, the early or the late 1920s, early 1930s. And when the gangs, Al Capone and those guys were shooting up, up the town. 
And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But okay. my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told of that knock on the door. And my dad was an infant at the time of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was, oh, absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, you know, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's, yeah, that's what my dad wanted me to do. So I had a choice when I graduated from college. As I mentioned, my father and grandmother were both dying of different forms of cancer. I could have said, hey, dad, sorry, I'm going to go off here and blaze my own trail in law enforcement or out of love and respect for you. I will do what you want me to do. So now you understand the backstory. So if you look at my first two jobs, which were in business fields, that's what I did to appease, appease my father. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited until my father passed away. And then I became, you know, I did what I want to do. I followed my dreams right. and became a police officer. So part of that was working undercover narcotics for three and a half years. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After I left law enforcement, I started a school security consulting business. I coached girls high school basketball, uh, made the brilliant business decision to start a motivational speaking business right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, <laughs> and you know, then became an author in 2020. But for the last 10 years, I have been battling this very rare form of cancer. So I think that that gets you up to date on sort of my career in a nutshell. Right. So tell me, tell me a little bit about Sustainable Excellence. Yeah, Sustainable Excellence was a book that I wrote um, in 2020. I had my leg amputated because of the cancer and found right. out I had uh, tumors in my lungs. And so during that three-month period where I was healing, I sat down at the computer and, and basically wrote the book. But the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player who had coached in high school, had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live um, and with her fiance and, and my wife and, and she and her fiance and I had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while and she looked at me and she was like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and then living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media who was in college. And he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those are <laughs> right. important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. So I took some time and I thought about it, wrote some notes, you know, I had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles, and then I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during that three month period where I was healing, I sat down at the computer and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, wow. So what, how did you come up with the 10 principles? I know you said you I wrote just, it down and you sent it to them. Like what, 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 how did, how did you come up with those 10 principles? Focus in yeah, on them. I, 
it was, you know, it was thinking back on my life about things that either I had done or that I hadn't done that had made an impact, either positively or negatively. I, I mean, one of the chapters in the book and, and each, each principle is a chapter. And, and one of the principles, and, and it's funny for me because as an author, when people reach out to me, there's always one principle that is the one that really kind of grabs them. And it's like, right. you know, this is the one that really resonated with me. And, and for me, I, you know, I wrote all 10 of them, but the one that really resonates with me is one that I've done. And I'm not proud to say that I've done it, but, you know, I've done it a lot in my life. And, and this is the principle. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've like, oh, I really want to do that. But oh, wait a minute. You know, maybe I'm not smart enough or, you know, may, maybe I, people are, what are people going to say about me if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. And, and I always tell, especially young people, that, you know, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at right. the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So, you know, it's things like that, that it's like, yeah, I've done that. You know, I, I'm not proud that I did it, but maybe I can put that into a book and give some examples and say, all right, you know, I'm sure we all feel that way from time to time. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. You know, what if I fail? And so as a result, we don't do something that is either good for us or something that we have an interest in we want to do. That is an excellent point. I think I was on another uh, podcast and I was talking about some of my fears. You know, you base your decisions off of your fears, right? Instead of your the possibilities. And right. so, you know, so I mean, I definitely struggle with that as well. So that would be a, a, a definite um, point <laughs> principle, you know, that I would focus on. And I absolutely do focus on it now. Um, I try to do a lot of things that I that I fear of failing or I believe you know, someone will criticize or why are you, you know, it's, it's like I'm grown, but I still have that, I believe, child mentality. And it's not really a child mentality. It's a human mentality. Right. But, you know, I, I definitely can uh, relate uh, to that principle. And I appreciate you sharing your, even though I'm, I'm giving a lot more, I believe, and stuttering and doing all this other stuff because it's, it's resonating something inside of me. Right. To get sure. out and, and do a lot uh, more with my mind instead of you know, focusing on the fear of not being able to accomplish a thing. So I, I'm talking a lot because I think that is a very, very, very important message that should go out to everybody, you know, period. Um, so you, you touched on your cancer, right? You touched on um, you had to have your leg amputated. What was your, what was your, you know, and you don't have to answer this, but like, what was your mental state when you started going through these things? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I don't, I don't mind talking about any of my cancer journey. Um, so I, I guess to kind of go back to the start, which would really started the whole sort of, you know, the mind game along with the physical aspects of having cancer was I was a girls high school basketball coach, as I mentioned in Texas. And I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And initially, I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. 
And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming, you know, until finally he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet and the palms of the hands. And because your cancer is so rare, he recommended I go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas to be treated. And so, so I ended up doing that. But, you know, I recall when he, he was telling me this, and I, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. You know, right. first it's denial. It's like, I can't possibly have cancer. I did everything right in my life. You know, and then you get, you get mad, you know, you, you get upset with the situation and then you sort of bargain with God. I, my, our daughter was in high school when I, when I got cancer. And I remember, you know, you know, okay, God, you know, please just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And, and then you kind of get down, you feel sorry, sorry for yourself. And then you get to a point where you've got a choice to make. And my choice was, you know what, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace that suck and use this to the best of my ability. These are the cards that I've been dealt. I don't like this hand but I'm going to have to play this hand to the best of my ability. And the other way you can go is, you know, woe is me. You know, I feel terrible. I'm depressed. I'm down. You'll die. You'll die pretty quickly in in that state because you have no hope in your life. And so you've got a choice as to which handle you want to grab the handle of I'm going to do everything I can to fight this or the handle of, you know what? Yeah, this is terrible. This is my lot in life and I'm just going to give up and quit. So I chose you know, not that I'm any better than anybody else. I, I'm probably not. I'm probably worse. I am probably the biggest wimp in the world. But I look at it like if I can do these things, if I can own my own mindset, then you know what? Anybody who's listening to us can do the same thing. Absolutely. Well, wow. and you're you're such a positive, uh, you know, personality right now and you've gone through such a big thing who who were some of the people that you had to you don't have to name names but you know relationships who were some of the people or or organizations that you leaned on uh when you were going through this and you're still going through it so you know who who are the people that you lean through lean on i i talk about the things that have gotten me through this cancer journey and i talk about what i call my three f's and those f's stand for faith family and friends and I've always had a very strong faith in God. And and it's kind of funny when I got cancer, you know, people were, well, who do you blame? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Well, you have to blame somebody. I mean, we're great, especially in this country of, you know, starting down a path towards a goal. And, and then we, we butt up against an impediment. Something gets in our way and we can't get around it. And so we quit and we give up. But we don't take responsibility for it. We want to blame somebody. We want to blame our parents or our station in life or our boss or whoever it is. And so people were like, well, who do you blame? I'm like, I don't, I don't blame anybody. And then they find out I have a faith life. And so they're like, well, you must blame God. And I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think that at all. But I do believe he has given me the strength to get through some very dire times. 
So faith is one. And then my family, and, and it's just my wife and daughter. And I remember after I had my leg amputated, my doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I'm like, is it going to save my life? Right. You know, he kind of shrugged and was like, well, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I was eight years into this cancer journey. And I thought, well, I don't think I want to do that if the outcome is going to be the same, but I'll go home and talk to my, my family. So this is kind of a funny story. I go home and you know, I start telling my wife and daughter and, and my daughter's like, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that. You know? So, so we, we sit around the kitchen table and individually talk about how we feel about me having, having uh, chemotherapy. And then my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. And I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remember back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning different ways to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I love my family more than I love myself. And they wanted me to do that. So that's the family part of it. And then finally, friends. You know, I think you really find out who's in your corner when you have a chronic or a some kind of a terminal illness. You know, people you expected to be there all of a sudden aren't. They can't deal with either their own mortality or watching somebody they care about, you know, basically die. But then there are people that you never expected to be there for you that are there. And, and so it kind of balances itself out. But, you know, faith, family and friends have really gotten me through these last 10 years. That's awesome. I love the the, the family meeting <laughs> type thing, right? I know it's a uh, funny story, but it's true. You know, that's I mean, a great story. That's a great. I appreciate you sharing that one. That's sure. amazing. So so what do you do now? Um, I know you, you you're uh, you, you have the, the business. Are you still um, speaking? Are you getting back to speaking now that it's kind of loosened up a little bit talking about COVID and the, the pandemic? Or are you not able to? Or no, I, do you I, do it? Yeah. Or do you do it virtually? Yeah, I, I, I do it virtually. I actually I, I gave a talk to the South Carolina Bankers Association had their annual convention uh, in Colorado Springs uh, last month, and so they they asked me to come and, and do a keynote at their prayer breakfast. So I, I I did that, and it was just so nice to to get back with people again, and and not you know just either a voice over the internet or, or, you know, if you do a zoom, you can still see the people, but you're right. not there with them. And it was so great for me to be able to do that, to be around people. Again, I love people. I, I, I'm not a big crowd fan, but I love people individually and that. So yes, I am doing that. I'm starting. Uh, the, it's funny because as things are opening up, I'm, I'm finding there's more opportunities kind of in the virtual speaking realm than there was before. And I don't know if that's just because that became such an important thing during the pandemic and now people understand how to do it. So it's easier right. to do than, you know, having to pay airfare and hotel and all that kind of stuff for people. So, yeah, so I, I am doing that. I do, I do podcasts. Uh, I, I mean, my issue is every third week I am at the hospital for an entire week being treated. And so I, I'm pretty much shut down at that point. I really can't do anything. And then, I've got two weeks off. My wife and I kind of have a constant battle 
You know, she's like, <laughs> you need to, you need to rest. You need to get your blood counts back up. You need to do all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, Hey, I'll get plenty of rest when I'm dead. So oh, you know, I, I got to joke about that. And I'm like, I love doing podcasts because I get to interact with other people. And, and I've been very fortunate, uh, Lee, to, to have done probably over 500 podcasts with people all over the world. I've yet to have a bad experience. I mean, I've met so many great people and, and been able to talk about my story with them and impact them and their audience. So it, right. it just gives me that, you know, it, it gives me that energy that I, that I wouldn't have otherwise. All right. So this is going to sound like, uh, well, you know what? I'll just ask the question. What do you, what do you do for fun? This? <laughs> See, I knew it was like a setup. I knew it was a setup. That's why. <laughs> it's a great, it was a great lead. Thank you. I'll send you that 20 bucks I promised you, right? <laughs> no, it, this, like I said, this gives me energy. And, and I'm fortunate enough, to, uh, fortunate enough to live in a neighborhood uh, with, with a group of guys um, and, and the wives too, but pretty much the guys. We, you know, dur- even during COVID, we would have these group lunches and we would do it outside on somebody's driveway, you know, and right. we would just sit around and eat sandwiches and talk about what's going on in each other's lives. So I have these great group of, of people that, that I have surrounded myself with. I have I have unbelievably great nurses that take care of me when I when I have my infusions every week. I, I can't say enough about them. They are, I mean, they are really my friends now. They're the people that I spend most of my time with. So right. I, I am just fortunate enough to be surrounded, in addition to my family, you know, to having some great people around me. So give me give me a good. You're my motivational speaker right now. Or my audience is your motive, you know, is your audience right now. Give me uh, something. And this is general, so, so you can just be creative. Something motivational, something to get me uh, through tomorrow or through today. So I had a and a nurse recently asked me, and, and this is a true story. Um, she asked me what it was like, to, and I mentioned having my leg amputated. That was in two thousand and twenty. In 2018, I had my foot amputated. So that was the first amputation that I had. And she asked me, you know, what's it been like to have your foot amputated and your leg amputated? And I told her it it has not been easy. It's two years post for my leg amputation. I am still learning how to walk again. You know, when you're six foot eight, falling is not an option, you know, because you you get hurt. You know, when you're a little kid, you know, and you're having fun, you're giggling and you fall over. I mean, you know, you're a foot off the ground. It's not a big deal. So so I, I told her it has not been easy. But what I did tell her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And, and that's who I am. That's who you are, Lee. That's who your audience is. You know, we get all hung up on, you know, oh, I'm going to have chemotherapy and oh, I'm going to lose my hair and oh, I'm going to, you know, this is just a vessel, a house to house who we really are. So don't spend a lot of time worrying about your physical features. Spend more time developing, you know, your character, your humility, you know, mm. your who you really are as a person. Spend more time on that and less time worrying about how you look and what other people think about how you look. Amazing. Absolutely. That, that's amazing. I, I appreciate everything you say. Uh, you, you're such a motivational uh, person, such an inspiration. Um, because, you know, I, I've gotten upset over 
nothing, you know, <laughs> and part of, you know, a lot of things that have changed in me realistically is being in the military and then seeing a lot of different things. Right. And so now when I'm in a different space, so I'm in an office space, you know, the things that kind of can upset a person, right. Um, it really doesn't phase me just because you've experienced different things. And now you're on a, a different level. You're on a, you know, on, on a physical level of experiencing some things as well. And just having that insight, you know, another thing that I like to tell people is travel, right? Because that gives you a different perspective on different things. Um, education, because that gives you a different perspective, right? And just having all these perspectives, you understand, you, you begin to understand that it's not always all about you. It's about you because you're you, right? But it's not always about you. And don't focus on those external things and, and let that kind of recreate you. Just focus on on who you are. Um, and I know that didn't come out as exactly as I wanted it to. But my point is, um, I really appreciate your story and you being so open about it. Um, because I was a little, and be realistic, I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't know how to navigate to ask the questions, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you told me even before we started recording, like, just go for it, right? So I exactly. definitely... I definitely appreciate it because this is a, this is a message, your message, your story, everyone's story is a story that someone else can definitely benefit from. So I appreciate your candor. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'll, I'll uh, talking about the military. Our, our daughter, um, unfortunately or unfortunately got my height and, and also an NBA three point shooting range shot and was Ooh. recruited to play basketball. And, where she ended up going was the United States Air Force Academy. And I remember when she was being recruited, we, we were ushered into a conference room during one during her visit. And this colonel came in and, you know, Fulberg colonel, and he's sitting there and he's talking to her about the academy. But what he said at the end, I mean, I as a dad, I almost ran through the wall, like, where do I sign up? You know, I, right. I, it, was, it was so amazing. He was like, what you got to understand is for the rest of your life, when people hear that you are a mem member of the armed forces, watch, he said, watch their chins. Their chins are going to like move up like, oh, because they're going to expect more of you. They're going yes. to say, okay, this person, you know, tested themselves. They tested their metal to find out what they're about. And they came out the other side better for it. So they're a leader. Whether you want to be or not, people look to you as a leader. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God. You know, I looked at my daughter like, if you don't go here, you're an idiot. You know, I mean, it was just like, <laughs> I, I know you, I, I don't want to influence it because it's your decision. But fortunately, I think my wife and I raised her to the point where she'll tell you, like, I realized I had a tremendous opportunity to go one, play basketball, and two, get an education at the Air Force Academy. And how could I turn that possibly down? I would regret that for the rest of my life. Right. So yes, you as, as, a, as a former member of the military, thank you for that. You know, all the members listening to us, thank you for your service. And realize that your training, your background, your experience, you are consummate leaders in our country. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and thank your daughter as well. How tall is she? Six foot two. <laughs> Wow. I know. And her husband's like five foot nine. 
Oh. I mean, you know, she's tall and thin basketball player. He's short and squatty. He was a wrestler at the Air Force Academy. So, oh, you know, wow. Two athletes. Gotcha. Yeah, two athletes. Got, I mean, God, their kids are probably, you know, they better be NFL players or something like that. <laughs> That's a good mix. Absolutely. <laughs> Hey, so one last thing. Where where can uh where can the um the audience here if they want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about you and, and get the book, um, where can they where can they do this at? Yeah, I mean the book is available anywhere you can get a book online, you know, Amazon, Barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks. Um, every day I put up on my blog, I have a blog called motivationalcheck.com. Uh, I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought usually comes a question about maybe how you could apply that thought in your life. Uh, I have recommendations for books to read, videos, videos to watch and things like that. And, and I also just started a membership called Sustainable Excellence that takes a deeper dive into the book. And you can actually download a free copy of the book uh, if you go to sustainableexcellencemembership.com. Right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I will definitely sign up for the the motivational uh, daily. You said it comes out daily. Yeah, it comes out daily. It's free. You can just go online to motivationalcheck.com and there's a a thought for the day every day. Sounds good. Hey, Terry, thank you once again for coming on the show and and telling your story. Any final thanks for having me on. I, I, I really appreciate it. I always say it's, it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation (laughs) with you and, you know, if we do that and make a positive difference in somebody's life, then today's been a good day. Absolutely. All right. You take care, my friend. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present going to be. I'm a wise man. Look at these blessings on me. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is to key. learn that you don't need no type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gon' be. Yeah. I'm a wise man. Look at these blessings yeah. on me.